Uh, well, friends, my name is Adam, if we haven't met, and I'm so glad uh, to be in worship with you. And it's, it's my joy to be one of the pastors here. I wonder, uh, when was the last time you had a great day? When was the last time you had a great day? Well, yesterday, somebody said. What made it great? These are, I mean, these to be rhetorical, by the way. Last service, someone, someone yelled, I slept. <laughs> so in your mind's eye, call, call back. What was it that made it a great day? And who, who were you with? I had a great day last Monday shooting off fireworks. I'm excited to report back. I still got, I got, all, my, got all my fingers still. That firework I'm holding was called the power of faith, which I just thought was hilarious. So I'm going to buy 10 of those next year. What about some of your all-time great days? Maybe some recently, but think back to you. Know, what were those really high point days of your life? Can you remember any dates specifically? You had a couple come to, I had a couple come to mind. One was December 16th, 2016. Two things happened that day. Uh, we had a sonogram appointment for our second child, and we found out we were going to have a girl. So that was, that was in the morning with Sarah. And then the afternoon, Rogue One, the Star Wars story premiered, and I saw that with my butts. <laughs> that, that was a great day. That was a great day. Found out you're having a little girl, eat your guts out with popcorn. Outstanding. Another great day, February 2nd, 2020. Anybody remember? Chief Super Bowl, that's right. Our beloved Chiefs won the Super Bowl, and this is my brother-in-law, Doug, and I. This is at Dick's Sporting Goods in Lee Summit at like 2 in the morning, <laughs> buying, buying all the shirts and stuff. Man, I'd go back tomorrow if I could. That was a great day, February 2nd, 2020. Now, that day would also be uh, the last time I would see my dad. Four days later, uh, he died, and about four weeks after that, the world began shutting down because of COVID. Now, in the past two-ish years, if you would have asked me how things are going, I'm not sure I'd have used the word great. You know, getting ordained and becoming a senior pastor in 2019 and coming here to Kearney was my lifelong dream, fulfilled. And then it seemed like not too many months after that, poof. Disarray. I didn't get into ministry to make public health decisions. That's, I am not that subject matter expert. I got into ministry to help people know Christ and, and, and to see people use their God-given gifts in service. Now, being a pastor I don't think is particularly harder than being anything else. So I'm pretty sure I'm not the only one who may have felt this way. People in every industry are struggling. Folks I know in all kinds of industries, teachers, nurses, uh, retail, customer service. I mean, you name it. Every industry is struggling. And sometimes it can kind of feel like what Tony Soprano described in the first episode of the series, The Sopranos. He said, it's good to be in something from the ground floor. I came too late for that, and I know. But lately, 
I'm getting the feeling that I came in at the end. The best is over. Now, is this about the saddest opening to a sermon you've ever heard? <laughs> Stick with me. Let's read a scripture. John 14, 11 and 12. Jesus said, Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. Very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these, because I am going to the Father. Greater things than these? What? Jesus was recognized for doing amazing things. His miracles, his healing of the sick. People flocked to hear him teach. Wherever he went, he was mobbed. Is Jesus suggesting that this type of greatness can be ours? In my weaker moments, I want to be seen by the world, by society, as great. And as humans, this is how twisted we can get. Has anybody been to that new club car wash? Anybody gone over there? Excellent place. Uh, uh, outstanding. Now, you can get your car washed like normal. You can just pay one time and go through. Or <laughs> you can become an esteemed member of the club, the club car wash. Now, I heard that Travis Kelsey is part owner, so I was immediately in because he clearly needs my monetary support. <laughs> <laughs> so the way this business model is, you can play a fat, a pay a flat fee. You can get your car washed as many times as you want. But the thing is, before you start the automated part of the car wash, there's two or three people that like spray the front of your car and like the tires. And there's another feature of the beginning of the car wash. It's a little box about the height of your window of your car with a sign, a sizable sign, that says, tips appreciated. And here's how twisted I am, and I don't think I'm the only one. I'll like try and time it to drop my tip in the box when they're looking. Right? Oh, not yet, not yet, not yet. Ah, that's me. Big tipper, that's right. I am so desperate for someone to see how greatly generous I am. Now I'm guessing, we're giggling, because Pastor Adam isn't the only one. I don't think this is what Jesus had in mind when he said we would be great. So compare my desperation for someone to witness my great generosity with Jesus, who was around for 30 years and almost no one knew. I mean, this is why I know Jesus, one of the reasons I know Jesus is divine. I mean, think about it. We hear about his birth, and then we get like one story about when his parents lost him, which alleviates all of his parents. <laughs> and nothing until he's an adult. People think around 30 years old. For three decades, Jesus was around, and almost no one knew. And even after people began to see his greatness, he would say, shh, don't tell anyone. I mean, I think I should get a medal. I secretly hope someone sends me a medal anytime I do the dishes. But Jesus, over and over and over, would do some miracle, and then he would say, don't tell anybody what you saw. This is called, the fancy word for this is called the messianic secret. That Jesus was the Messiah, but he didn't want it revealed until the proper time. Jesus told people over and over to keep quiet about his miracles and his identity. 
John Wesley, the founder of Methodism, he wrote a famous prayer. It's called the Wesleyan Covenant Prayer. And here's a line from that prayer. Let me be employed by thee or laid aside for thee. And we've said that prayer here at church. And whenever we get to this part, I just kind of mumble my way through. Because who wants to be laid aside? Not me. The kind of greatness that Jesus describes is not found in being seen as great by society. It's found by doing what is done in secret. Like a small pinch of yeast that works its way all through the dough, Jesus described. Or the world's tiniest seed that grows into a great tree to become a perch for birds. It's the kind of greatness that starts with the child's humble lunch that is multiplied to feed thousands. So what's scary to me is like my motives in the tip line at Club Car Wash is that it's entirely possible to want to be great for Jesus for all the wrong reasons. This is especially true in church leadership. There are national and global scandals that happen all the time and they are a stain on our witness because a leader or pastor lost sight of the greatness of Jesus. The great singer Alicia Keys said, some people live for the power, some people live just to play the game. So we all need to check our definition of greatness. Do we want to be seen by society as great? Or will we pursue the greatness of Jesus that only comes in secret? And when we strive to be seen as great by society, we'll always end up disappointed. That's a losing game. Because there's always going to come along somebody greater or cooler than us. Surely, this is not the greatness Jesus intended. So think back to some of those greatest days you can remember. Maybe you're like me and some of the people that made that day great aren't available to you in the same way anymore. What would you say to someone if you knew it would be one of the final conversations you would have with them? If you could do it again, what would you say? Jesus left us a pretty good record of what he thought would be important to tell his friends. And that's exactly what we have in John 14, some of Jesus' final conversations with his disciples. Jesus is imparting his greatness to them because he would soon depart. So he's turning it over to them. Again, I say, what? He's just going to leave it to them? Dorothy Sayers was a playwright and a theologian. This is what she said, that Jesus experienced three great humiliations. The first was at his incarnation when he stepped out of the glory of heaven to become a baby. The second humiliation was at the cross where he took all the punishment we deserve for sin. The third, she says, was at Pentecost, the birth of the church, when Jesus gave the church custody of his reputation. How could we as Jesus followers possibly measure up? How could we possibly compare to his greatness? The appointment I served before I came to our church, my last church, was Good Shepherd, not too far from here. And it was a church that had three campuses. So I was pastor of one of those physical campuses. And our sanctuary sat about 80 people. It was actually about the size of our fellowship center down the hall. 
when I first came here, people were like, oh, we just love that you shake hands. I was like, at my last place, I didn't have anywhere else to go. Like, <laughs> it wasn't some big decision. I was just used to it. And uh, the reason I tell you all this is, if we sat 80 people, right, like if you were new to the church, I knew it. And so one Sunday, some people brought their in-laws, and I just bolted over to say hi and introduce myself. And they were visibly disappointed when I was not the United Methodist pastor from Kansas City named Adam that they expected. <laughs> now, if you're uninitiated, don't worry about it. One of the largest Methodist churches uh, in, in the country is in Kansas City, pastored by Adam Hamilton, who is so kind and is a leader worth looking up to. And he and I actually tailgated together. We had an Adams United tailgate before a Chiefs game. That's my third Chiefs reference. You can tell I'm getting the itch in mid-July, right? And so back to this, this couple that was disappointed that I was the wrong Adam. Like, what could I hope for? I just hope they put 20 in the plate and move on, right? It's fine. It's fine. Whatever. <laughs> Friends, I, bring, I, I just think this is a, a prime example of something I, I imagine most of us, all of us, struggle with, and that's comparison. Comparison. It's such a hard thing to deal with, both externally and internally. Theodore Roosevelt, President Theodore Roosevelt, he said, comparison is the thief of joy. That's a powerful sentence, and I think it's true. We can't be joyful about what we have when we're always kind of comparing to what someone else has or what we don't have. And it's so tempting to compare, to compare greatness, how great we are or the great things we've accomplished or other aspects of our lives to others. I think this is especially easy to do in our modern age in 2022 because of the whole situation on social media is this. Someone else is presenting their very carefully edited version of their life, and we compare that to our actual life. Beyond that, we can compare ourselves to images that aren't even real, they're digitally altered. And so I just wanted someone to say out loud, especially to our girls please stop comparing yourself especially to something that is not real. It's, it's not reality. That's a standard that no human can actually attain because they're being altered. It is so tempting to compare ourselves and our greatness to this or that person or pastor or industry leader or whatever that means to you, maybe another parent or grandparent, whatever. Now, the only thing that gives me some comfort is at least this instinct for comparison and jockeying for greatness is not a new one. We read this in Matthew 20. Then the mother of Zebedee's sons, so these, these are two of the disciples, two brothers, they came, she came to Jesus with her sons. Kneeling down, asked a favor of Jesus. What is it you want, he asked. She said, grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right and the other at your left in your kingdom. When the ten, the other disciples, when the ten heard about this, they were indignant with the two brothers. Jesus called them together and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. 
not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. The two brothers, the sons of Zebedee, uh, the Bible tells us their nickname was the Sons of Thunder. And I always thought that sounded like a WWF tag team. I really like that, the Sons of Thunder. So imagine the, the proud Sons of Thunder have their mom, mom, come to Jesus and say, will you give my boys a cabinet position? I mean, that's, those are the dynamics. And I've said this to y'all before. I hope, you, I hope you hear me say this a lot. Have you seen, there's actually an emoji for it, or have you seen it? I'm going to clear my forehead here. Have you seen any of the facepalm memes? Have you seen these? I imagine Jesus in this position like 40% of the time. <laughs> Guys, we've been over this. And that's the, like the messianic secret. This is why Jesus had to keep it a secret. They weren't ready. They clearly didn't understand what it meant for him to be the Messiah. That his kingdom wouldn't be like great in comparison to the world. Sit at your right and left. Can we have positions of honor and authority when you are ruling as an emperor? That's not what Jesus came to do. And they still didn't understand it. And so the disciples argue with each other over who's the greatest. Now with the benefit of hindsight, you know, a couple thousand years of wisdom, it's easy for us to look back at the disciples and think, oh, they, those silly disciples, they were so thick-headed. But we compare greatness all the time. We do it with our stuff or our salaries or what version of phone we have. I do it with other pastors in town, in case you are wondering if I am human or not. Now here's, now here's what's really icky. Sometimes we even do it up in here, maybe between services or campuses. Oh, wait, did he say that? Now here's what's really hard. Given the last couple years, we're not just comparing ourselves to others. We're comparing ourselves to ourselves three years ago. It's hard to escape comparison when you're comparing yourself to yourself. And we compare endlessly because we desire affirmation and we want to be great. In both Matthew 20, 26, and John 14, 12, Jesus uses the same word, great. He says, whoever wants to be great must be your servant, and those who follow after him will do even greater things. Do you want to know what the Greek word for great is? Or what my fancy software told me the Greek word for great is? Megas. It's where we get the thought, mega. We love mega. A couple weeks ago, I was at a conference where I gave a version of this message. Now, sometimes people will ask me, well, Adam, do you ever repeat your sermons? The good ones. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I was at, the, I was at our, our conference, and there was a restaurant, and they had some games out, including Mega Uno. Mega Uno. Look at that. You know what's fun? Uno. You know what's really fun? Mega Uno. It was hilarious. We love Megas. 
Megazord, Mega Size Fries, Mega Man, Mega Millions, Mega Store, Mega Church. As Americans, we love Megas. But maybe Jesus meant something other than our concept of Megas. The sense of Megas in John 14 is greater in size or importance or degree. On earth, Jesus was still just one individual. As great as he was, he was still only one person physically incarnated. But soon, he would return to the Father and his followers would receive another advocate to help us and to be with us forever. That's the Holy Spirit, Jesus promised. So after his ascension, those he entrusted his ministry to would be fueled by the Holy Spirit and they would be numerous. And so as leaving, in leaving his work to us, I believe what Jesus intended was not comparative greatness to him, but cumulative greatness. That the cumulative effect of his followers would be great. So according to Jesus' definition of greatness, the mark of a truly great church is not how high our engagement metrics are or how high our attendance is or how large our budget grows, but it's how low we stoop in service, friends. The greatness Jesus promises is cumulative. There was once I was in the hospital visiting with someone and uh, turned on the TV and I saw a strange sight. This was probably less than five years ago. And in the hospital room, the preview channel came on. Anybody remember this? This is, this is what the generational gap will feel like, by the way. If you're like, whoa, what is that? It's fine. This was before the internet was big and before you could just find out what was on or even just watch things from other devices. There was a whole channel that told you what was on the other channels. And so you would watch it, watch it scroll up. That was the preview channel. And that's how you really knew you were at a low spot in life is if you just wound up watching the preview channel. That's a, that's a lonely place. Anyway, sitting there in the hospital, I was like, I didn't know this was still around. I hadn't thought about the preview channel since like 1997. And I was like, people still use that. Huh, that's still around. I didn't know that. I think a lot of people view church like I view the preview channel. Like not even aware it's still going on. And for a lot of folks, this church, the, the thought of church or being a part of a Christian community isn't on their radar at all. And if it is, it certainly doesn't seem relevant. I would argue when the church is doing what it should, nothing could be more relevant. Because what we deal with is eternal. It lasts. Nothing could be of greater importance. And so the work Jesus left to us is of utmost importance. Now, I just got done telling you all that the mark of a great church is not how high their budget rises. I believe that's true. I want to share with you, however, a very practical example of cumulative greatness. This year, our giving at church is, is up 8%. And if that trend holds, then for the first time in our church's 153-year history, we will generate together for ministry over a million dollars. Again, this ain't about money. This ain't about giving to the church. 
but I am, there's just something about that threshold that seems significant. And again, I'm not here to show you a chart or anything like that. But, you know, it's not like we have, you know, eight families that are all big boppers that give like $80,000 to the church. That million dollars is the result of hundreds of families who give part of what God has given them. And it's incredible. So let me be very clear. I share this not to boast about our revenue, but to give an example of our cumulative greatness and generosity together. And we have some fun things planned to kind of recognize this, this amazing generosity of our church. And we're gonna be blessing some of our partners in outreach ministry later this year. It's gonna be a lot of fun. But this to me is the whole point of what Jesus is leaving his disciples, his disciples with. The concept that we can do greater things together than we ever could as individuals. And in the coming weeks and months or years, you may read some headlines about the Methodist church. And that breaks my heart because we only make headlines when we fight. Now, I'm not talking about our church. I'm talking about the 8 million member Methodist church in the United States and around the world. See, we don't make headlines. There's no headline that says Methodist church lowers malaria rate in the continent of Africa, which is a thing that happened. Didn't get any interview requests about that one. I don't know why I'm yelling at you all. Let me. (laughs) It makes me sad and it makes me mad. I've got no interview requests for local church helps people achieve their dreams through education. You can see some of their pictures out in the lobby through our partners in education, Haiti, through our Love Haiti initiative. That's not a trending topic. People are only attracted to drama in the church when we fight. And the Methodist church certainly has this list of struggles and failures, but to me, friends, it's worth the struggle because of our cumulative capacity for the greatness that Jesus calls us to. And so I want you to know, I am so proud to be associated with this church, to be a pastor at this church. And that's what gets me out of bed every morning, is this, the conviction that I have in my spirit that the greatness that Jesus desires for us is bound up in our shared ministry together. And I believe the only thing that can stop the cumulative greatness that Jesus desires for us is if we quit. I think there's several good reasons people can be cynical about the church. Even when I talked about giving, you might have had a little, oh, pastor's going to talk about money. There are a variety of documentaries you can watch right now on a couple streaming services that document the failures and scandals within the church. And I'm certainly not trying to minimize the pain and hurt that the church has caused a lot of people. It can just be easy to be discouraged sometimes. About a year ago, maybe a little more, someone brought in this book just randomly. And uh, they found it in their grandma's attic. This book is the history of the Methodist church in Kearney, Missouri, 1869 to 1969. And I keep this in my office. I mean, it's, it's, I know you can't read it. It's typed. Like, ding. <laughs> I, re- I realize I, once I get into it, we type a lot still. But physical typewriter. 
And right here in the, in the front is a list of pastors. And so sometimes I think about J.S. Smith or T.A. Allison or A.O. Holum, and I think, I should go by my initials. <laughs> it's, it's, so, it's so dignified. <laughs> but I do, I look at these long list of pastors, and in those times when it was tempting to think about doing something else, I would imagine what my little note would be in here. Adam Musto departed to work at Foot Locker. <laughs> That's me and my pastor buddies. Friends, sometimes you got to laugh or cry, right? And uh, when things were crazy and changing every couple weeks and you were just kind of in a rock and a hard place leadership-wise, sometimes it's, it's tempting to think, well, I just... I'm just going to go work at Foot Locker. So that's like our inside joke. One of them actually applied as a joke and did not hear back. And that was, <laughs> was truly, I don't, know, I don't know what to tell you then. Um, but my guess is that whatever industry or stage of life you've been in, uh, the past two plus years have been more challenging than great. And that's why I wanted somebody to tell you today the verse that I have clung to and committed to memory, Galatians 6, 9. I wanted somebody to hear, let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we don't give up. That's right. That's why we need to remind ourselves of that. That's one of the reasons we come to worship. I mean, look, look around. You're not the only person crazy enough to believe this stuff or to be trying to. It's powerful. I'm convinced that our church's greatest days are still ahead of us as we look to Jesus for the true meaning of Megas. So let's ditch the desire that we have to be seen as great, whether that's in the tip line, at the car wash, or whether that's in your, your org chart, or whether that's in the eyes of your neighbors or whoever, let's remember that God sees what is done in secret. And as we step into a post-pandemic season as a church, I celebrate and am really excited aiming for more than just surviving COVID. It's, it's time to, for a fresh vision as we trust in the work of the spirit that we share the spirit Jesus promised us, his own spirit. And so friends, let's reach for the cumulative greatness of Jesus together. The title of this message is Going Great. And so I hope the next time somebody asks you how it's going, that with a gleam in your eye and a smile on your face, you tell them it's going great. And everybody said, amen. amen. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for the chance to be together and hear from your word. God, thank you for the promise of your spirit. Thank you for the confidence that is almost hard to believe that you would have in us, that you would leave your work entrusted to us. God, help us not to fall into the comparison trap Help us not to be looking over our fences or over our shoulders at 
what others have or what we don't have, but instead to be joyful for every good gift that comes from you. God, thank you for this church community, this family of faith. Thank you for the long witness of some of the names that we read and all those that we didn't have time to include and the long lineage of folks who had faith and kept going and that's why we're here today. God, help us to reach for the cumulative greatness that you desire for us. Help us realize that we each have a small part to play, maybe a part only done in secret. And thank you for the witness of your church that despite a lot of good reasons for it to crumble or fail or or disappear into irrelevance, fueled by your Holy Spirit, we're still here, still reaching for the greatness that you call us to. God, it's our hope that through our work, fueled by your spirit, more people would come to know you. That they could let go of the desire to define themselves by the greatness according to the world and instead be a humble follower of yours. Help us to do just that. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.